If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome back to the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I am your host, Howard H. Smith. You may know me as lead singer with UK thrash metal band Acid Rain. Or you might know me as a podcaster from my podcast, Talking Bollocks. My name is highlighted in the description of this podcast. That's because it's a link. Click that and that will take you to hundreds of interviews that I've done with the great and the good of heavy metal and rock and roll. But here I am your guide through the world of all things that are motorhead. As I wander the virtual halls of this virtual museum and wonder how amazing it is that ma- the fact that we've managed to build this so quickly in such a short time with so many interviews now if this is your first time visiting the motorcast museum if you would kindly don't worry i'm not asking you to pay an entrance fee but what i would like you to do is subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this whatever device whatever platform there is a bell there's a button there's a ding there's a thing press that and you will be subscribed a new episode of the motorcast will arrive in your player every time we release one and why not encourage other people to sign up as well we've seriously had a a real bump in numbers recently and it's just getting better and better so please do continue to show us your love in this episode we have headcat guitarist danny b harvey really enjoyed doing this Um, Headcat are about to release their previously unreleased live albums, um, Dreamcatcher and Live in Berlin, plus a reissue of their second studio album, Walk the Walk, Talk the Talk, on BMG on the 15th of September. So, early Christmas presents for yourself there, or maybe a member of the family. Head over to Motorhead and Headcat Socials for more information. And now on to the interview with Danny. I really enjoyed doing this and I've got a sneaky feeling you're going to enjoy listening to it. Here's Danny and I having a chat. Danny B. Harvey, welcome to the Motorcast. Thanks, man. It's it's an honor to be on this show, man. You've you've been doing so much for Motorhead and Lemmy's Legacy and, and everything. It's great, man, to be part of this. Oh, that's really appreciated. We're, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm loving doing it. I'm lucky enough to be doing it. And um, I always start every episode the same way. And uh, you, sir, will be no different. The question <laughs> is, <laughs> okay. how did Motorhead first enter your life? Lemmy entered my life through uh, Hawkwind. When I was, you know, when I was a kid, I was really, when I was a kid, I was like 13 or 14, I was really into progressive rock. And I was a big fan of that Live Space Ritual album. And then it didn't, but then somewhere around the uh, age of 17, I made a complete 180 degree turn or, and, and I changed, got into rockabilly. Right. And so I went from rock to rockabilly and blues and country. And so then when I ended 1980, I ended up playing at Dingwalls in April of 1980 and sit at the bar was none other than Lemmy Kilmister. And, and so I went, wow, that's a guy from Hawkwind. <laughs> and so I went up and I was just standing by the bar close to him. And he asked me if I was in the, are you in the band? that's going to play. I was playing, I was playing Levi Dexter in the rip court, which is one of the, it's a, one of, it's a rockabilly band. 
And he said, and I said, like, yeah. And then, and then he said, well, I'm here to see you guys. I heard good things about you. We'd only played like four shows before that. So and we'd, we'd moved to London before the Stray Cats, but we'd moved to London about three months before Brian did. So so let me said, I'm here to see you. And, and that's kind of our first meeting with him. <laughs> that's that's some first meeting. Yeah. And then, we, and then we know, and at the time at Dingwalls, they had, uh, there's two games that are out then, and Asteroids and Space Invaders. And yeah. Lemmy and I love. I was addicted to both, and so was Lemmy. So I was. I was over there playing Space Invaders, and then Lemmy walked over and said, "Hey, mate, do you, do you mind if we play play doubles and share?" And, I, and then he put and he put the money in, and so so then I got so I played Space Invaders with Lemmy, and that was my the first night I met him. So, and I was, and unfortunately I had I was except for bands like Deep Purple, which I liked, and Black Sabbath I liked when I was growing up. And I wasn't a big, you know, I didn't know a lot about metal music. So I didn't even, I had not even heard Motorhead at that point. I saw them a month later after meeting Lemmy and becoming friends. I went down and saw them for the first time and it was blown away. But I just knew him as a guy from Hawkwind. And I couldn't believe, I was talking to the guy that Hawkwind that used to listen to Live Space Ritual, like on rotation, like for all night long by smoking pot. You know? That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's it's one of those stories that... um that you hear in the business, you know, you 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 grow up listening to somebody and end up working with them. You know, yeah. it, it's and that's one of the great things that can happen in this industry. Oh right, yeah, it is. It's it's it's, it's great. I mean, like the time I was nineteen, so it's a big deal. And I also the next time we played there, Lemmy came down and he brought down uh, Mick Green from the Pirates, and I had been. I'd worked in a record store when I was 17 and I got an advanced copy of the pirates album. So I was a big fan of the pirates too, as well. Like, And so then Mick Green and Lemmy are at the bar talking to me. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> but and these are the, I never dreamed living in Kentucky and, and then the this Canyon, this small town in California, when I went to high school that I'd be hanging out with the people that I listened to. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of those kind of, yeah, stand back and, yeah, experience it. Right. Yeah, so and after that, like, Lemmy came, every time we played around London, Lemmy would come to the shows because he, he's a big fan of rockabilly. Yeah. And we kind of, and so we met with Levi, we actually learned that Johnny Guitar Watson song, Motorhead Baby. So whenever Lemmy was in the audience, we would do Motorhead Baby and dedicate to Lemmy, so, which is an old jump blues song. But... Yeah, but still, the musical connection, the synergy had already begun. But he was, yeah, and he was, I mean, he was just down to earth, but mainly we never, but he never, we never really talked about music more. We, we drank a little bit. We'd have a drink together. We'd play video games. Like I said, Space Invaders or Asteroids at the time. And they might've had one of those fruit machines that he liked at Dingwalls. I don't really remember. I just remember playing the video games with him. And then, then over the years after that, I'd, whenever I'd see him in London, we'd hang out. Then he'd be in New York a lot and I'd hang out at the scrap bar so I'd see him at the scrap bar a lot, and the girls from Cycle Sluts from Hell—they were all good friends of mine, and they and they went out and toured Motorheads. So I'd see, hang out with them, and they were bartending the scrap bar. So we ran, we came into contact a lot, but we never worked together. And uh, except one time, I did a show from the Holly and Italians, and he was is a big show with the Dictators and Holly and Italians, and I was on the bill, and Joey Ramone and him were the MCs for the show. So that's the only time. Technically, ever work together? Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, that's that. That's how it'll look on the CV, right? <laughs> Performed with uh, Joey Marone, Joey Marone yeah. and Lemmy. 
Yeah, yeah, they were they were the MCs. So it was, I think it was um, Joey. I think it was advertised as Joey Ramone's birthday party. And I remember the, I remember the dictators played, and and Lemmy didn't play. He just MCed the whole night, and then the cycles let some hell played Holland the Italians. I can't remember all the bands that played uh, Dale Lords, but yeah, and we did that for two years. We did that in New York City, late '80s. Then that was it. So that's so I and then I moved to New York. I mean, I moved to, then moved to California, early '90s. And I didn't go down. I didn't live in. I didn't live in. When I first lived in Hollywood, I didn't go to the Rainbow too much, but I, and I didn't really see Lemmy then. The few times I went to the Rainbow, Lemmy, I Lemmy wasn't there as far as I knew. Uh, but uh, and it wasn't until like nineteen ninety eight again that Slim Jim and me were doing a tribute to Elvis album, and we decided it'd be cool like to have Lemmy and Johnny Ramone play together on a track. So me and Jim. Yeah, by the way, you know, I don't know if you, if you interviewed Slim Jim yet, but his story, oh, yes. same thing as Lemmy, his story, as far as I remember, was Lemmy showed up backstage at one of their shows and introduced himself, and same thing, and said he was a fan of Rockabilly, and they, and they were, at the same time, they were friends forever, so I know he had a similar experience, so we so we both knew Lemmy, and I knew Johnny only because with Holly and the Italians and also with the Rock Cats, we opened for them a lot, but Joey was my friend, he, Joey was much more my friend, and uh so I hung out with Joey more than Johnny, and D. I hung out with Dee a lot too. But Joey was the one I really knew. I'd hang out with Joey whenever I was in Manhattan. I'd go to a club, and Joey was there. We'd sit together and hang out together and drink together. But so I did. A, Jim called up Johnny because they're like best friends, and and I talked to Lemmy. I got in touch with Lemmy through. A, I forget who gave me the number, but I got in touch with Lemmy, and so we we set the whole thing up. And um, first I talked to Johnny and Johnny said, let's do in the same key and the same tempo as the original. We did that good rock in the night and uh, Viva Las Vegas. So yeah. we recorded Johnny Ramone's parts and, and my parts and uh, Jim's parts. And then Lemmy was going to come in and he was just going to sing on it. He wasn't going to play bass. And he came down to sing. He did good rock in the night. And then he goes, and then he goes to sing uh, Viva Las Vegas. He goes, this is the wrong key. Like I go, well, I, t- I talked to Johnny. I we, I did the key based on what Johnny wanted to play. He goes like, we should have asked me what the key is. And so and he said, well, here we, and he goes, well, here, you pick up that bass. He hadn't, he hadn't brought any gear with him. So I picked up the bass. He got acoustic guitar, got Jim on the drums, and then we recorded, you know, uh, we, we stuck on you and also, uh, what's the other song we just stuck on you and, uh, we did we did a bunch of awesome. I think it was trying to get to you and stuck on you. We did those two songs, and and that was it. Then Lemmy said, "Why are we recording those songs as a trio?" Lemmy goes, "We should do a band. The three of us should make a whole album." And that's kind of how Headcat was born. Like, that's. I mean, that is just. I mean, that again. Yeah. That is a, that's a scene out of a movie, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was cool, man. It was like, and we go, yeah, we can arrange that, and so. We did, and like I think you know, if you since you obviously have heard the Headcat stuff, the first album was we cut the stuff that way during the day. Lemmy on acoustic guitar, me playing bass, Jim singing, and then I take it home to my home studio because I had back in 1999. I had a home studio back then, the ADAT studio, and I would and I would fix the bass up, and I would put electric guitars and keyboards on it, and then I bring it back down the next day, and then we keep doing it until finally the album was done. Then Lemmy did the vocals last, and uh. And but that's how we did. So even though we were cut as a trio, that at first album ended up with me playing bass and guitars and keyboards, Lemmy playing acoustic, harmonic on one song and singing. 
And as you know, he sang a lot of harmonies to himself. Let me put a lot of vocals on that album. Yeah. And it turned out he was an amazing harmony singer. Like I, you know, <laughs> people think he's just a, a rowdy, like, uh, you know, a heavy metal singer. Man, he, he did these really intricate harmonies. And he could hear, like, let me add a low one. And he, and he would, and he would add another harmony to had like six harmonies and he would pick which ones and how to mix them. It was like, well, it's like, he's like really like amazing how good he could sing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's well, it's one of those kind of unknown things, um, and uh, unless you've discovered Headcat, you know. Yeah, that was the first album. What then? Uh, and it was never supposed to be a live gig. It was just supposed to be that album. And then, then it came in. Then we did. I think we did on New Year's Eve nineteen. The the what the Y two K was as it was Y two K Slim Jim had opened a club called the Cat Club, and he calls me like a week before. Let me get off tour with Motorhead, and he goes. He goes, Lemmy wants to play on New Year's Eve. He wants to play the bar. Do you want to play? And I go, Yeah, I guess so. It's it's Y2K. <laughs> I had remember people were freaking out. I go, but I wasn't really freaking. I go, Yeah, it'd be fun. I don't know anything else going on. So so we did a show. So we did so we basically Jim opened the clubs, the, the cat club. And if anyone that happened to walk in that night would see Lemmy playing. And I think we did I think we did two full sets that we I think we did one set and then we did another set and just jammed on all these 50 songs that let me wanted to play and blues songs and dude you just described your seeing in the millennium you got in you got invited to play a play a trio with lemmy and seeing the millennium oh man and there's some pictures from that thing and the thing is i have i took my I, my ex-wife was there and she took pictures lemmy showed up he's completely clean shaved he had no mustache no beard he's completely clean shaved and he wore like a suit jacket. <laughs> wow. Not a cowboy shirt. And yeah. it's, I mean, and he played electric rhythm guitar. He didn't play bass. John Carlucci from the Fuzz Tones played bass on that show. And that was, that's it. And Jim, of course, played his drum standing up. And we and we just did this gig jamming. Whatever song Lemmy wanted to attempt, <clears throat> he just, he'd start, he'd tell us what key it is in. And we'd try to follow along. But, but the material the cool thing is, Lemmy grew up on this stuff, and he knew it all firsthand because he, like, he bought these records when he was a teenager. And me and Slim Jim playing that kind of music for years with our different bands, we knew the songs from playing it, and we knew like the revival of that music. But, but Lemmy knew it just as well as from the first time, even to the point that when we record these songs, if I did like those Buddy Holly songs, I wouldn't. I did a. I went through another guitar solo, and he goes. And that's not the solo on the record. And I go, yes, it is, Lim. He goes, no, it's not. And I and I remember we I remember Slim Jim and me. I said I had a CD of the Buddy Holly's greatest hits. I play it for Slim Jim. I go, this is the solo. I did it just like the record. And then we go in and we and Jim shows up the next day at the box set of all everything. And we went in and listened. And we realized that there was two versions of that because it, it was the when Buddy Holly died. They put out one version. Then five years later, Norman Petty redid it and put another guitar solo. So we go and we go, Lemmy, did you know that there's just like two versions of this song with different solos, like same vocals? And I remember Lemmy go, well, I never heard that second one. So don't even listen to that one. <laughs> like <laughs> That's the only one that's on the greatest hits album. That's, that's the only one you can buy. The only reason I got to hear the one he's talking about is, is Jim had this box set that had had like every single release, every version. So yeah, so we needed to solo. That's <laughs> that, but that's that's typical Lemmy, musical historian yeah. and oh, yeah. and historian in general. It'd be it'd be, and then we did, then we did that song. Uh, 
Oh, shoot. Okay. It's one of, the, one of the songs is the Farfisa, the original record. Norman Petty's wife played a really cheesy Farfisa part. It was like, it's on the record, the Headcat record. So I went home and I decided to get a B3 sound and make it sound a little bit more ballsier, right? Yeah. I come in and play it. And every day when I do my overdubs, I bring him in. And first thing we do, we sit there and make. The time Lemmy was drinking Makers and Coke, he wasn't drinking Jack and Coke. So we get a bottle of Makers, and, and me and Lemmy make a big old pint glass full of Makers and Coke. And we sit there and drink, and he listened to all the overdubs I did. I play all the overdubs I did the night before we put the ADATs in. And he goes, Dan, that's not the Farfisa. And I go, Lem, I'm not going to play no freaking Farfisa. And he goes, but that's good. And he goes, Lemmy turns to me, because like, hey, man, make an old man happy. Just play the Farfisa. And I go, and at the time, Lemmy was 50 years old. So he's younger than I am now. He's a lot younger than me. You know, he's like a decade younger than me. He goes, make an old man happy. <laughs> and so I, I go, dee, dee, dee. it's on the record. You can hear the, the Farfis. But that's, uh, do you know what? That is, that is classic Lemmy, which is, which is um, not, never make a demand. But just put it in terms that would make you feel bad if you said no or didn't do it. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's not not in a passive aggressive way. Just uh, just a really nice way about him that made you that made you think. Yeah, fine. Yeah, let's play him. Make an old man happy. And I go, okay, let me. Okay, I'll, I'll, but I couldn't do it there. So I'll fix the next day. He got to hear the farfisa. So with his say raised, he toasted his glass of makers. Go, Thank you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome uh, and you you continued for a little while though yeah well then we did we did, then, uh, we did that one show then we did another show jim started doing um uh a weekly thing in his club that ronnie mack put on called the barn dance and so lemmy he wasn't getting the, the, the attendance that he thought he would so he got me and lemmy and uh him to play again but this time we got lee rocker on the bass we only did five songs and it's as far as I know, I've only seen two pictures of it, but like we actually did it with Lee Rocker playing bass and we did like four or five songs and that was like 2001. Then we didn't, and then it wasn't until 2003, the record company that put out the first album. And by that time we didn't have the name. We had, we were using the name Headcat, but they had put the album out under the name Lemmy, Slim Jim and Danny B. And the reason they'd done that was because we threw around in the studio the name Headcat we also had the name Motor Cats because, you know, I've been in Rock Cats and he was in Stray Cats, Slim Jim and Lemmy, obviously Motorhead. And we had, we'd thrown away about three different names. And so when it came time for the record, the record was like, what do you want to call the, the band? Like, what are we going to call the album? And I remember at the time, Lemmy, you have to call him on his house phone. He didn't have a cell phone. or he, And he'd communicate with you by faxing you stuff. So I, so I remember I, I had to fax him like, I had a fax in the artwork for his approval. I remember, and then, and it was friends with that that album. The reason, remember the cover of that first album? It's us in like golden May suits. Mm-hmm. In the studio, Lemmy said, "Oh, you know, there's an Elvis album. Fifty million fans can't be wrong, and it has Elvis in the gold. All these little Elvises in the golden May suit." And Lemmy said, "We should, we should call this album Fifty Million Fans Can Be Wrong." with me because he's singing rockabilly on it yeah. so they made the mock-up of the thing with us in the golden may suits and i remember i faxed it to lemmy and he's like what's that and i go it's we're gonna call the album 50 million fans can be wrong he's like no dan and he calls me because dan that sounds like it's a joke this isn't a joke we, <laughs> but it was your idea and he goes 
but it now but that makes it sound like it's a joke this is not a joke we can't call it that and he said let's call it lemmy slim jim and danny b and then i, then I remember I said well what's the name of the band he goes like do we need a band name as well as our name on the cover and that's why it <laughs> came out as lemmy slim jim and danny b so do we need a band name as well as our names on the cover? Yeah, I just. <laughs> <laughs> but this, so then like in 2003, they said, we want you to do a live album at the Cat Club and we'll fulfill it for DVD. And Lemmy goes, well, only if you release that first album properly and put the name Head Cat on it. And I and I go, Lemmy, you said you didn't want that. He goes, well, no, I I didn't want is one or the other, but I'd like it now to have the name Head Cat. And I'd like to, and he said, I also like to change the order. An original one, it starts with Big River because he says, because I would never put Big River first. And I went, you called me on the phone and said you went at Big River first because you said that was the first single you ever bought when you were like 13. You bought Big River, the, which is the B-side of Teenage Queen by Johnny Cash. And you said it was the first record you bought on Sun. Maybe it was the first record, he, the first Sun record he bought. He goes, you said you like it be first because it's the first record from Sun you bought. He goes, I would never put that song first. <laughs> <laughs> so he so he was a little bit forgetful but but still and then so so, so that's all we did that the second album was called the Headcat album and he also and we'd done a stupid deal where we needed like 15 songs and we only recorded 12 so me and slim jim had to go in the studio and do two instrumentals we did a uh, true love ways and we did an instrumental version of heartbreak hotel and we'd done 13 it was supposed to be 15 so to fill out the the album yeah so let me go. And I want those instrumentals to take it off too. And I, and I said, we only did it because, you know, you, he, 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 this happened when the first album came. I said, let me, we have to add these instrumentals. And he goes, because we agreed to do 15 songs and we only recorded 13. And he said, well, if you'd have told me, I'd have done two more. But you no, know, when that album was done, I remember Lemmy was very adamant. That's it. 13 songs is more than enough. And he's right. 13 songs is more than enough songs from now. But we, yeah, absolutely. So he was 100% right, but we'd signed a contract for 15 songs. So me and Slim Jim went in and cut two instrumentals just to fill it out. And we did one Buddy Holly song and one Elvis song instrumental to go along with the theme. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where and this is where record companies fall down. It's like, you're right. You, you know, what somebody at the label needs to do is go, do you know what? The contract says 15, but this is 13 fine. This works. Yeah. This works really well. Yeah. Just leave it at that. Amend the contract, someone, but it'll be for, But no, you've got to deliver the fifteen. And so Lemmy got them to put it out with a bet, a photo on it instead of the gold Lemay suits, which he never really liked. Because, and that is true because it, it, you know, it was a funny, it was a funny joke in the studio. But he's right. If we put it out as fifty million, he said, "I'll take it. This is a joke." So we did the album cover. He wanted. We put the name Headcat on it and took our names off the front. And we named it that. We called it after that, that Buddy Holly song, you know. Yeah. So, and so then all of a sudden everything was good after. That. And so then that, and after that's when Lemmy decided he wanted to. Whenever he had time off from Motorhead, he, which is usually the beginning of the year, he'd always have like January through May free, and then he'd have like a month free, like around August, and then he'd have like September and August he'd be free, and that would be then the rest of the year he's on towards Motorhead. But Lemmy always went to play, so then. We started doing a lot of headcat shows. I think it went from four shows the next year, then to eight. Then I think the most we ever did was like 20 shows. And we actually got a tour bus and did a proper tour of the West Coast. And we kept doing that all the way up until Lemmy got, he's got, had, when he had to cancel, start canceling the Motorhead tours, 
it became a first the first priority was when he felt better to make up those shows so yeah so from like 2011 or 2012 on it was hard to do head catch shows because there's so many motorhead shows that he was canceling yeah and I, that just that experience of of touring with lemmy and working with him every day what was that like oh that's funny i mean it, it the thing I think the way I we, I describe it to people like Headcat. Let me always look at Headcat like because we have him having known me and Slim Jim since 1980, and us bonding over video games, drinking, and rockabilly music. So it was, it was more like he's hanging out with his friends. So basically, Headcat was a lot of us. Let me had these rules like I remember we we go in and they go, let me they got you a dress room here, and he goes like. No, Headcat always has the same dress room. So no matter where we play, Lemmy would make sure all three of us in the same room, which, as you know, it's, it's the way it is with Motorhead. He'd yeah. also have it. He'd also go things like, I remember Steve, his roadie, who Steve, Steve would roadie from a lot, and sometimes it's Motorhead. And we also had Tim wrote Tim roadie for us a couple times as well. Tim Butcher, like, you know, Lemmy's tech. Yeah. But they'd always go, Lemmy, do we tune down flat? And Lemmy goes, no, Motorhead, E flat. Headcat E to standard tuning. So he, he made it sort of standard tuning. So it's always like Headcat was like Lemmy hanging out with his mates, playing music he liked. And he didn't look at like, he didn't care about the money. If we played a casino, that made him happier than anything. Cause he could, <laughs> yeah, straight into the, straight in afterwards. You get a wad of cash and he'd be able to go to the casino before and the casino after. And he'd always like stay an extra day. Like he'd always, so he loved it. As a matter of fact, we played that, you know, we put that album out last year on BMG that the the live in San Diego. They called Dreamcatcher Live. And it was at a yes. It was at a merit native what they call it, Native American casino down in near San Diego. But remember we did that show. We showed up for the sound check and right away we're setting up. Lemmy went out and started gambling. And uh so we we me and Jim, Jim Seppis drums. We only had one roadie, so we did a lot of it was like, you know. It was like a small. We, the four of us would go into an SUV. That's how we tore it. Yeah. Back in the day. so, and I remember, so Lemmy comes in. He goes, "Man, I just lost three thousand dollars." <laughs> he said, "That sounds shit." And I go, "Oh wow, man, that's a drag." And because uh, Lemmy would take, he play the hundred dollar slot machines, and he have three going at once. So, because I lost three thousand dollars, so we did the sound check, which is always short. And then me and Jim went ate something. Lemmy went off gamble. <laughs> so then we come back to this, back to the dressing room, like. Three hours later, so Lemmy comes in. He goes like, "Hey man, because man, I he goes, <laughs> he goes, I won two thousand dollars." And so Jim goes, "So does that mean you're still down a thousand, or does that mean you won five thousand? So now you're up two thousand." He goes, "Jim, I won two thousand dollars," <laughs> <laughs> which means he was still down a thousand. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, but uh, but wasn't going to admit it. Does that mean you're? <laughs> Still down, or does that mean you won five thousand and now you're up to? That's brilliant. I mean, he, he but he did love to gamble. Yeah, he loved to gamble, and he, yeah, he was. And I mean, and I mean, I drove him to Vegas one time. I was playing. I was opening for Brian Setzer Orchestra, so I asked Lemmy. I said we played in L.A. And I asked Lemmy. I go. I got. I know he loved to go to Vegas. I go, Lemmy, do you want to go with me to Vegas? I'm playing with Brian Setzer. I'm opening for Brian Setzer, and he goes. Okay, so I so I drove him and me drove to the desert that night. As soon as we hit the Nevada state line, there's a place there called Pistol Pete's or something, Whiskey Pete's. I think it's the first casino you get when you get in Nevada. So let me said, let's stop here. 
and so I've been the night before I played the Universal Amphitheater and and I was exhausted. We'd done two nights there with Brian Setzer. So but we go to the bar and then he walks to the bar, goes, Jack and Coke, Jack and Coke. And then he goes off to gamble. So I'm sitting there like I can hardly stay awake. And and I want to get to Vegas because our rooms are waiting. <laughs> and I remember so I go, so I go by and, and Lemmy's gambling. I go, Lem, how long do you want to stay here before we go check into our hotels? Like, Dan, are you going to ask me to quit now in the middle of gambling? <laughs> you're gonna, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'll be at the bar <laughs> waiting for you. <laughs> it's about an hour later. He comes in. And he goes, okay, we can go to the next casino. So, so like, <laughs> we go to Vegas. We go to check in and I go to get our, I go in and check in and, um, they go, oh, your rooms aren't ready yet. As soon as they said your rooms aren't ready yet, I was I went in the whole thing like I'm tired. Can I get it? But the second they said that Lemmy was like went 50 feet over to the VIP slot and he was already so I went the whole thing. Well, can I get a room now? They they were gonna give us suites or something. I go, I don't need a suite, I just need a room because I'm and I'm playing tonight because I'm playing. I think I was, we stayed at the palms, I was playing the hard rock though. So I go. I gotta and they go, so they gave me a room. So I go over and find Lemmy. And he's already like got three machines going. <laughs> but the, one of the really like things about them that shows that shows how interest you know how what an interesting person is. So that get, we gambled a day. Then I come by and, and that night I'm playing at the hard rock. So I go, I go, I get Lemmy, Lemmy gets I had my car, I drove. So I let me get my car. We drive the gig, the hard rock. We go in, and and I remember Brian Setzer's uh, road manager had asked me, hey, man, because Brian had this thing where Ty, his guitar tech, would dress up as the Grinch. would come out, and they would have dueling guitars, and Brian would chase them off. So they said they told me on the tour, like, be quick. What do you think Lemmy would dress up as the Grinch so I can come out with the guitar? Like, and then Brian can pull it off, and everyone sees it's Lemmy. And I go, I don't know about that. Like, you got to ask them something like that. Yeah. So I bring Lemmy backstage to get our laminates back, all access. We walk back and we go into the production office and they hand him the laminate. And Lemmy goes, why do you have the fucking Grinch on this? <laughs> <laughs> they go, what's kind of Christmas? He goes, fucking Grinch is in Christmas. <laughs> and he puts it on. And so like, obviously they didn't ask him if he wanted to dress up like the Grinch. So. Yeah, there's, there's, there's your answer for you right there. And then, and then he introduced our band. And he st and he stayed on the side of the stage while we we're playing, and, and he had a Jack and Coke. And I think he and he think he, he he one time he came out and gave me a Jack and Coke on stage, and then about halfway through he disappeared. So then we did our set. I remember at the end of that that set that we opened for Brian Setzer, I'd always do the last song playing. The, I put the guitar behind my head for the finale and play a solo behind my head. So I figured Lemmy had left. He got tired of our set and left. So when we get done. I go outside and I find him. At, out in the hard rock i find him at the, at the plane i hit i can eat i walk up go hey lim <laughs> and he goes dan don't play that guitar behind your head it looks really stupid and i go you watch the whole show he goes yeah i just went up the balcony i watched the whole show he goes as soon as i did i go so he went he watched our whole show and then to the point of saying like don't put the guitar I go, oh so i go you're gonna go see brian he's like no, I don't want to see Brian set. So I want to because when he sat there, we, he played like his his slots. Like, yeah, nothing's going to tear him away from them. And, and that was so. That was the twenty fourth. That was the twenty third. So at midnight, it became his birthday. So I remember we and we were at the Hard Rock, and so it comes about eleven o'clock. I asked me what to go down to the Double Down, 
which is a punk rock club because like I can't go there, Dan, I'll get harassed. And like he's 100 percent right because the people that would bother him weren't the fans. It's sometimes it was the musicians. Yes, yeah. he'd run to musicians and they go, hey, let me, man, I met you once. Our my brother's band opened for you at this festival. And how you doing? And they, and they think they knew him because they talked to him once, you know, and they would sit down and just like sit down and hey, so get it. What are you doing? How's the tours going? How's the out? You know, and those and they meant well, but they think because they played with him, you know, that they're like colleagues. Yeah. Let me once to be left alone. I think he'd rather have had the fans come sit down with him and tell him how much they admired him and you know how supportive how much they like his music but a lot of times the musicians were the worst because and you because they they just like oh we worked together once or i was on the bill with you or my brother was the bass player on this or that or you know I mean yeah yeah and they basically they, they thought that they thought there was a connection there that there wasn't yeah yeah and so yeah and so then they, they think oh we're like colleagues so we can and lemmy didn't really want to meet he didn't really like when he went through he said i can't really go there i'll get bothered and, I, and uh, so I said, okay so I go, what do you want to do? Let's just go back to the hotel. So I drive back to the hotel and it's like, it's, it's been like, let me, it's your birthday, man. Do you want to, we need to do something for your birthday? He's like, now nah, I'm just going to go up the room. I'm tired. And I go, he goes, I have a book I'm reading. I want to read. I go, so I go, so it's your birthday and you're going to go up and read a book in your room. And he's like, yeah, it's a good, I, I read a little bit before I left. He says, oh, I'm going to go up and read that a little bit. And I go, so I remember, and I, I remember I told Slim Jim, I, I talked like, that's where it's his birthday. And after gambling all day and not wanting to, to check in the hotel, and he doesn't even want to have a drink to celebrate his birthday, he just wants to go to his room and read a book. And I go, I go, well, and, he, and she goes, well, that's Lemmy. He's not predictable by any means. He's, he's what, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, the opposite of what you would expect in that particular situation. But, what yeah. you're saying is, yeah, he's unpredictable. As in, yeah, he was just as likely be right, guys. Let's go find a bar and close it, you know, as he was to go. Actually, I'm just going to go and read my book. Yeah, and then I mean, and after many shows we've done, we go out afterwards. We go to strip clubs, and they'd always like give us a VIP table, but Livy would never sit at the VIP table. We'd always want to sit at the bar and get a drink and watch. He wouldn't go, and he wouldn't go sit in front of the girls when they dance. He'd sit the bar, and he, but he'd walk over and get the money. But the reason he liked strip clubs is because he didn't get bothered that much. People come, yes. they go, hey, you're, and you're Lemmy, like, oh, and they, oh, this girl's on, the, and they leave him alone. Or they, yeah. and the girls, of course, in between their dancing, they would pay a lot of attention to him. <laughs> hey, you're Lemmy. And so then the girls would like all hang around him, and that's what he wanted. All the strippers hanging and saying, oh, I love your band. So cool to meet you. And 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 then, then the guys would just go, oh, let me buy you a drink. Yeah, we got to go. Because they were there to see the girls. And Lemmy doesn't take precedent over the girls taking their clothes off. So. No, no. But it, but imagine being one of those guys, you know. Yeah. So we went yeah. to a, we, they've got the best story ever. We went to a yeah. strip bar. You're never going to believe who we met in the strip bar. Yeah, but, they, but they'd always give us a VIP table. And Lemmy would never sit in the VIP table. Like, you'd never want to be in the VIP table. He went to be at just at the bar, and then he and when the girls dance, he go over and just give him some. He give him like a big bunch of money, and he go back to the bar, and, and that, but that is that is Lemmy all over. Not as in the, the you know that that down to earth nature of not sitting at the VIP bar, but also there's a, there's a certain amount of I I like there's a bar. I'll sit at the bar. That's what bars do. Yeah, you know, it, it was just a normal guy. Yeah, and then up in Portland, the 
we played we played this club we always played the owner of the club he owned five of the most popular strip clubs in portland so he'd always take me and Limmy out afterwards and we'd drink and we and, and we go we'd stay there after hours i remember and we had a strip club one night and we were after it was after hours and we were sitting with two of the girls and some other girl was giving us a, a dance there's like just people that work there and the girls were there so but that's the only time I ever saw Lemmy smoke pot because the girl sat next to him, the stripper, she passed the joint to Lemmy, right? And then, so Lemmy took a drag and passed it to me. And I like, gave him look like, really? You just took a hit off a joint? I never seen Lemmy smoke a joint. And he's like, Dan. <laughs> so, <laughs> then I passed it to the girl that's sitting next to my side. And then about half an hour later, I go in there and the owner of it, who's a, he's, he's back there, I go, because normally they have a strip club they have food there and he goes like and the owner goes oh, i'll make you some he goes i'll make you something so i go in the kitchen so i'm in the kitchen he made me some chicken fingers or something so i walked out and lemmy goes where'd you get that man i go well, they made it for me in the kitchen so lemmy said take me back there so i took lemmy in the kitchen he goes can you make some chicken and I go, oh yeah of course let me we'll make you some he put some chicken fingers so let me sit there holding a plate in the kitchen the guy goes you can go set the bar man i'll bring it out to you he goes like no limits. He's no, no way. So let me sit there waiting while they cook this. And the I remember and the owner Terry said, he he doesn't have to sit here in the kitchen with me. And, he, yeah. and then let me start making conversations. Like, so how was your night? You know, and he said, so he's being friendly. So, so that guy has now got an anecdote about. So, let me tell you the time I. I cooked chicken fingers for Lemmy, and he yeah. just yeah. watched in the kitchen. He's like, he away. Yeah, he sat there and he made and he helped, but he helped. So I sat there with Lemmy and I was talk. We talk. We all start talking and I mm. mean, but he's holding his plate the whole time. I go, and I go, I go, Lemmy, you don't have to hold your plate. He's like, oh, where are they going? Where are they going to put? Where are they going to put them when they're done? I go, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I meant you can put it on the counter or something. He's like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> so, it's a, it's a, a little bit, a little bit of marijuana effect there. Uh... Yeah, I think it was a little bit of the marijuana effect because I like I said, I'd never see it, but because a scantily clad girl like in her her G string and her bra passed it to him, he took a big drag, then passed it to me and gave me a look like Dan, these girls gave us be, be a gentleman or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> be a gentleman. Why meanwhile there's a completely naked girl in front of us dancing and there's two <laughs> so yeah, be a gentleman. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Make sure you take a hit on this joint, and don't let, and don't let me have another one. Right, <laughs> that's the only time ever I've ever saw him do that. And, and that genuinely sound that. Do you know what? That genuinely comes off to me like he didn't want to be rude. No, it does because I, I, I mean, I don't, I hadn't smoked pot. That was the first time in twenty years. Him and me had similar tastes, like in, and the things we did. So, you know, we, we we didn't like downers. We like uppers. We like, and we liked alcohol. You know, I mean, we, we had similar tastes, so, but I never saw that ever anywhere near him. So, but it had to be the girl passed it to him and instead of no, no, and make an old thing. He's, it's easier just to take a drag. It's not like he's never done it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And just, and just pass it on. Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Oh man. I, look, Danny, I, it's all these stories, everything. It's, I mean, you know, I can't thank you enough for sharing all of this. It's, oh, it's, it's it's absolutely wonderful. I was thinking once of writing a book, 
what is something like what what would Lemmy do? Because Lemmy used to give me let me give some of the most absurd advice in the world. <laughs> like he, he's just randomly said, I remember once we're driving in this, even he turns to Slim Jim and uh, he goes, you know, Slim Jim, because exercise is bad for the body. The human yeah. body is not supposed to exercise. We weren't built to jog and go to gyms and stuff. And, and Jim goes, but, but that's how we stay in shape. Like, you know, back at the, and he goes, no, did you hear that, that guy? Cause it's just, there's a famous guy who was like a, he was a aerobics teacher and he died from a heart attack at 40. So Lemmy always took that as proof that exercise <laughs> kills you. Because now it's bad for the body to do that kind of exercise. That guy, he's 40 years old and he died. Like, but it's like one out of 10. <laughs> that was his reason, wasn't it? It was like, no, there you go. So there's no need for me to work out. Then once I was drinking, or then once I was, I told him I was on a diet. I so I was drinking Diet Coke or something. He goes, Dan, you should do like me. Only eat one meal a day. I go, what's that, breakfast? Because he's like, not breakfast. You eat right before you go to bed. That way you can digest it while you're sleeping. <laughs> goes, that's completely the opposite of what every other nutritionist says. He goes, that's what I've done. He goes, I've always done that. And I've had really good health until I got diabetes. That's what he said to me. I go, Lim, you got diabetes when you're 50. <laughs> so, yeah. Because I was in perfect health until I got diabetes. That's what I always did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diabetes just showed up out of nowhere. <laughs> then we sit there. So in our dressing room, we get we get him because like Slim Jim didn't drink, so we get three bottles of Jack. And so Lemmy would take one to the hotel room for himself. He put it right away. He had a bottle. I had a bottle. I had Diet Coke. He had Coca Cola. And so at the time, like now I'm drinking Coke. So <laughs> I got up, but but that time is and I go. Let me, you're diabetic. Shouldn't you drink Diet Coke? Like, he's like, Dan, that sounds like it tastes like shit to me. I go, I'm just asking, you're diabetic. Like, sounds, sounds like it would taste like shit. But then, but then I remember his publicist, Uda, who's a European, you might know Uda, who's, uh, who's his, the, the German publicist for Motorhead for a year. And she talked, she explained to me, she said, because Dan, we don't put that much Coke in Lemmy's. It's not he's not getting that much Coke. We only put enough Coke for color. That's what she said. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's only a couple sips of Coke, so it's really not going to affect him that much. We, I've heard many stories of his legendary um, uh, rum and Cokes and people being given a, a you know, sorry, rum and, a Jack and Coke or something like that, and people being given one and and you know drinking it, seeing the way Lemmy drinks it. And and then being really not very well. I used to order them like when I go in when we like in Hollywood because I had the car and we like to go the same. I would drive a lot. I pick him up at his house or pick him up at the Rainbow or and then I drive to like other clubs. We go to strip clubs. We go to other bars and went to check out. And then plus like all the shows we always hung out after the shows and so and so. But I but I'd always order them. I go I'd always go to the bar and I go two Jack and Cokes and I always make the joke just enough Coke for color. And then, so that's that's what I mean. And that's it. we got it. That's how we like it. That's that's great. That's a, that's a great way. That that's like James. That's the music equivalent, musical equivalent of James Bond ordering a drink. That is. Yeah, just just enough coke for course. That's the. But then one time we went. I mean, we went to the, this club. And there's a there's a thing in Hollywood for a while. When I don't know if maybe it's all over, but Jim Beam was trying to take over the Jack Daniel market, so they made this Jim Beam black. And so they they pay they give bars like really good discounts if they wouldn't push Jack Daniels. So I remember I went to this this strip bar and I said two Jackson Cokes and the girl goes, 
oh no we were out of jack but would you like to have jim beam black like and i went to lemmy i go lemmy they're out of jack what do you want he goes he goes do you have evan williams and you know evan williams is like it's like a really it's the oldest distillery in kentucky but it's like a really low price burp i actually like it my friends used to make fun of me so let me turns to me because dan you ever had evan williams because it's really good i go let me that's my go-to one too then the girl but the girl looked at me and she's like kind of laughed she goes no we don't have any evan williams so let me goes do you have gentleman jack she's oh yeah we have that and i go let me you just let me from one extreme to the other extreme he goes why because i like evan williams <laughs> Brilliant. It's, it, it, but even his, his his knowledge was unsurpassed of the subjects, including things like Jack. But do you know what I mean? the subjects that he was interested to? It, he just he just knew him inside out. You know, I mean, you probably I don't know if you ever if you ever went to his house in Hollywood, but you probably heard about it. Like his house in Hollywood, and I watched it grow over the years. Like I first went there ninety nine. So by the time he moved out and got that condo, which is probably around 2012, that place had gotten so full of stuff. There was like marshals and boxes against the wall. And there, yeah. there was, and he had stacks of CDs, but he didn't stack them this way, like in shelves. He stacked them up like this, like up and down. And right. he'd go over there and he'd say, oh, Dan, I want you to hear something. He'd go over it where there's a thousand CDs all stacked, like in 200 CD stacks. He'd find a CD put it into his DVD player because he played CDs on his DVD player through and say, so put him in his DVD player, find the track, fast forward to the solo, go listen to this. And he would know it. And then, it, uh, and then on his coffee table with, with his kitchen table had become like, it was like same thing as books. He's had books that and they're all mainly all nonfiction, but there's, but he go, Oh, I just read this thing. He goes, same thing on the books. He could find the book. He could open it up. He'd know the paragraph. He could find you. Because read this. And it wouldn't be like highlighted or there wouldn't be like a folded page. He could find that piece of information at those 500 books or that guitar solo out of a thousand CDs. Like he, and he knew it. Yeah, his mind was like, he, his, a lot of people don't really, he's very, very brilliant. And we'd watch the history. We'd sit on the tour bus. I mean, we'd sit up there. And at the time, Dan Halen, Dan Halen was road managing. So me and Dan would, be on one side of the bus, let me be on this. And we'd watch the history channel. Let me go. That's not true. That that battle did happen two days before. What did the battle they're talking about you know happen? And they'd be he'd be correcting the history channel about their facts. <laughs> so many history books. And I believe Lemmy. I tended to believe Lemmy. Well, the thing is, is uh, like you you question it a few times, do your own digging, find out who was right, and think, all right, well, there you go then. Because it would be it, obviously it wouldn't be a, a history professor he'd question. He'd be like, they're just they're telling some story and some narrative. Yeah, this battle two days before. Goes, no, no, that wasn't two days. That was two weeks before. After that, they did this battle. That battle came after this battle. And and you know sometimes like even in reality shows they kind of compress facts to make it fit whatever the the dialogue is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, we had Tom Huck on here who um, designed some t-shirts and, and posters for Motorhead. And the first thing, how he ended up meeting Lemmy was because he designed a poster for his local venue. Lemmy loved it, wanted them all. So when he, so when he got to the venue, there was none of his posters were up. They'd all been taken down and given to Lemmy. And he got, to, and so he got, he got whisked into the dressing room to meet Lemmy. Lemmy, of course, is, the absolute gent that he is. And one of the first things he says, though, is, uh, yeah, by the way, uh, that tank is the wrong tank. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that it, they weren't in that battle. Yeah, he knew it'd be. And they, so he'd sit there and correct the History Channel, but I tended to believe Lemmy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Lemmy Channel. It's funny, just just the times we toured, we always there's always some. Lemmy always did something that I, I remember. We played San Francisco afterwards. My brother, my brother used to live in San Francisco, so I remember my brother went with us, and our road and our roadie Steve was there. So Steve. So Steve and his sister, they drove me and they drove me and them. These people had convinced us to go out to the North Beach in San Francisco because they had this bar. They wanted Lemmy to come to this bar. So we go to this bar. It takes 45 minutes to get there. We could have gone to a bar down the street from the club. But I remember, then, so we go to this bar. But coming back, we Lemmy decides they're hungry. And I go, so he wants to stop and get some food. But he doesn't want to go. You know, he doesn't want to go eat in a restaurant or anything or get fast food. So we go to a shop. We go to a, like a regular big grocery store. And we walk in, and, and I go, well, and I we're just looking for food to take back to our hotel room. And so my brother's with me. My brother had been, he'd been like, a, he'd been special forces in back in that Desert Storm thing years ago. And he at that time he's working for the FBI. He's retired now, but, but I remember. So Lemmy goes up and he has a can of Chef Boyardee ravioli. And he's holding that. He's a two cans of those. I go. Let me. They don't have a microwave in our room. You can't really. He's a really. And my brother comes like. Oh, we used to eat those when we were in Iraq. We used to eat those cold. You can eat that right out of the can. You don't have to heat them up. And then he goes, so your brother says, I don't need a microwave. I go, well, you can do whatever. My, whatever. He's like, uh, he says, Dan, he ate these things in battle. So he knows you don't need it. And I go, okay. So let me go. I go, well, what are you going to use for knife and fork? And so let me buy his. The only thing you find is this bag of like forks, like a thousand forks, plastic forks. So he's got two cans of ravioli and a big old bag of plastic forks. <laughs> and and, and as we're walking around the store, of course, he's he's we're all dressed in stage clothes. So people are going like, wow, that's let me. It's like four in the morning in a grocery store and, and let me serve his bag, his bag of forks and two things of ravioli. That's absolutely brilliant. That's brilliant, and also, of course, your brother, of course, ate them in battle. So, yeah. so you know, you know what, Lemmy, yeah, how Lemmy's mind works, and Lemmy's thinking it's, it's almost disrespectful to heat these up. Yeah. So, and I, I mean, and I guess it is all pre cooked. I did, I just, I just, I'm used to heating that stuff up. So. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. But we never heat. We ate those, and we just ate those. See, your brother says it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, it's um, unfortunately he's no longer with us. When's when, when is when's the last time that you had any 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 dealings or last time you saw him? I got I when we when he had a seventieth birthday party, Slim Jim called me and said, "Hey, Matt Sorm, you know, is putting together a seventieth birthday party for Lemmy. That that was December thirteenth. You know, it's like two weeks before he passed away. And they go, and he wants Headcat to play a couple songs." So I went, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I'll do it. So I drove out to L.A. and I took my wife, Annie Marie, with me because and Annie Marie Lewis, she's, you know, she's Jerry Lewis's niece. And right. when, I think when, when, let me, when, when we got to meet Jerry Lee, his daughter, Phoebe, took us up and he went, she went, Daddy, this is my friend Danny. This is Lemmy from Motorhead. This is Slim Jim. They open for you. So I shook Jerry Lee's hand. Lemmy shook Jerry Lee's hand and Lemmy goes, it's the fucking, he kept whispering in my ear, it's the fucking killer. As he's shaking Jerry Lee's like four times, it's the fucking killer. And, and you've seen that pit. There's a picture that we had took that picture like that. But so he was a big fan of Jerry. So I I took Annie with me. 
So the first thing is we show up at the sound check and everyone's there. Like Billy Idol's there, Steve Jones is there, Steve Vai's there, Zach Wild. They're all playing. They're all going to distribute the Lemmy's. Uh, Duffy Duff was there, you know. Then Lemmy shows up and he's not, and he's with Dixon. So he doesn't feel quite well enough to sound check. So Dixon, Lemmy's not going to sound check. So we're we're gonna go up to Rainbow. So I go to the Rainbow. So I got to hang out. So they so Dixon put me beside Lemmy when he played his game. So I got to hang out with Lemmy that whole time. And oh, that's and great, man. People come in to talk to him, but a lot of you know, and his friend Scotty was there, and Scotty was like kind of his unofficial bodyguard, but Dixon was there. Paul, his son was there. His girlfriend, Cheryl was there. Todd Singerman was there. So all the people involved with, with, uh, with Lemmy were there. So at one point they, then they go, then Todd Singerman tells me, we got to get Lemmy back to the thing. They, they, they want, they're waiting for Lemmy to start his birthday thing at the whiskey. So they put it on me to go, Hey, Lemmy, man, we got to go. I go, Lemmy, we got to go back up to your thing. And then he goes like, and he was, you could tell he was sick, but I, and I couldn't really understand because his, his, his words were slurred more than usual, but he went, but he basically, he's, he kind of yelled at me, like, I'm not going fucking anywhere, Lee. And so he, like, right. he got really angry at me. And, and so I went, sorry, Lim, you know, and then, and so I told him, I went, I told Todd, I go, he's, he won't listen to me. You have to talk to him. So they, then they finally got everyone together. They got Cheryl, his son, they all came in a group and said, and Todd goes, you have to do this, man. Matt, Matt's been planning this for weeks. Slash is there. Everyone there, they want to play. So they finally convinced Lemmy that he should go back to the whiskey. So Lemmy stood up. And at that point, his girlfriend, Cheryl, said, oh, let's take a picture. So I took a pic- three pictures of Lemmy with Cheryl and Amy Marie, my wife, and Lemmy. I took three pictures. And then we left. And so those, But those turned out to be the last photos ever taken of Lemmy. Oh, man. Last time he's at the Rainbow, too, because he never went back. So they went up to the Rainbow. They went up. To the, they took the car up and went in the back door. Me and Annie went and went in the front door. So I then I met them upstairs, up in the VIP section. They put it for him, and we we went and we set up. We set up and we stepped Lemmy's amp. And so they got me and Slim Jim up there. We don't. We joined Matt Sorum and his wife. We got Paul Kilminster up there as well, and we played that Beatles song "Happy Birthday" for Lemmy. And the idea of Lemmy's amp's there behind me. And the idea is that that, that song's over. Lim's gonna come out and Headcat's gonna do three. We're gonna go to three songs. So, but instead, Steve comes up and says, Lemmy's not feeling well enough. So I remember we said, okay. So we, so we all said to Mike, happy birthday, Lemmy's. And then, then I went upstairs. After I got done, I went upstairs. And then Dixon came up and he had, he goes, okay, I'm going to take Lemmy. Lemmy's not feeling good. I'm taking him home. So I got to say goodbye to him. And I gave him like a hug. And and he felt really frail. But that was the last time I ever saw him. And it was the last time he went out in public, too. So he went home. And then it was two weeks later, he passed away. So. Oh man, that's um. Do you know what? That's an incredibly sad, happy story. Yeah, editing it when he yelled at me, and I, I remember I couldn't really understand him. I went to Scotty. I go, "What did he say?" And Scotty goes, "I normally interpret it, but I can't understand what he's saying tonight because his voice was so slow." But earlier, but it, I, but it wasn't like he was completely like not making sense because when I sit there, my friend Rachel, Rachel makes Lemmy straps. Like she makes those ones with the big conscious. She's from. Heavy, uh, heavy leather, New York City. She's making straps, and so she made my straps. So she told me she showed up there, and she gives me a white strap she made for me. So I'm sitting there next to Lemmy. She goes, "Oh, Danny, I got, I brought you your strap." She handed it to me, and Lemmy goes, "It's my fucking birthdays. Where's my strap?" And she's like, "Oh, Lemmy, I'm so sorry. You're right." <laughs> so 
He's like, he's like, I'm just kidding. So he, he's like, he's gonna be because my fuck, it's my birthday. Where's my fuck? That's class, yeah. She's like, but she's still this day. She feels she, the last thing Lemmy ever said to her was, oh no, my fucking strap. But the last, thing, yeah, but the, they're the words. But the last thing he ever did was have a joke with her. Yeah, and then he said to um, he said to her like um, and she said, well, let me, I'll get you one like. Because she had moved to LA from New York, she said, "I'll get you one like beginning of the year. I'll make you one because I'll, I'll send you an email and we'll t- t- tell me what kind you want me to make you." So that was so it was all good, but he was just joking because like, oh yeah, what kind did you get? So he was so it wasn't like it's just when he got angry and he his he was slurring his words more. Yeah. Then the last time I actually talked, then the 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 twenty seventh it was. So let me think, twenty sixth they they told twenty sixth the twenty seventh they called me. Paul, his son calls me. He goes, Dan, sit down. I have some bad news and something. What's his bad news? Like, is, is he going to take over the guitar plate and headcat or something? Like, I say, what's bad news? And he goes, so he said, he says he's sitting down. I go, yeah. And he's like, he goes, dad's because dad's body's on fire with cancer. That's why I put it. I go, what? He goes, yeah, my dad has cancer and it's, there's nothing that they can do about it. He's going to pass away. And I go, what? He goes, and uh, I go. Well, like what? And he's like he's told me so. Why he's talking? He, he goes he goes he goes yeah I'm talking he goes he goes I'm talking to Danny Harvey. He goes my dad just walked in the room and I go well, tell Lemmy I love him and say hi. He goes my dad says hi. He goes Danny it's Danny B. Harvey. He said he loves you and he goes my dad said hi and he said thank you. But he's just laying back down since since they told him yesterday that that he would know that there's nothing they could do. He's just been kind of laying around listening to the he listening to the CDs and I go. So I asked him, I said, how long does he have? They go, well, one doctor said two weeks. The other said maybe two months. But there's and but it was literally the next day he passed away. Oh, man. Wow. It was. Um, so and then I and I talked to Dixon about it because you know, he passed away with Dixon. I don't know if you ever had Dixon, but, but Dixon, he passed with Dixon was holding when he passed away. But but uh, but Dixon told me like the whole thing because Dixon took him, I guess, in the 23rd. He told me. And you might have heard this whole story. Dixon took him to the doctor and then we had trouble breathing. So I took him to the doctor and yeah, I guess it was the 23rd. So, and the doctor said that Lemmy, he thought Lemmy was having like, like a lot of strokes going on. So he asked Lemmy some questions like, can, can you spell, you know, can you smell world backwards? And Lemmy couldn't do it. And he asked him like do simple math and Lemmy couldn't do it. So he said, I want to take a CAT scan. So he took a CAT scan and they saw these tumors in his head in his brain and he said we need to get an mri to find out what this is and so dixon said they called the doctor the nurse comes and said, okay you have an appointment for somewhere the first week in january and dixon goes can you call that guy back and tell him it's lemmy and tomorrow's his birthday and tell him it's lemmy from motorhead and and if we can see us now and she said the nurse goes oh, i don't know and so the nurse comes back and says, well he said if you can get there in an hour he'll see him so they she <laughs> drove and they got him Brilliant. an mri and they saw they had the cancer in his brain, he had cancer in his neck, and he had I think his liver or one of these other organs. And they, and they they told Dixon, they go basically, there's this is too far gone. There's too many tumors in his brain and stuff. And uh, so they said, they said, okay, we can't tell him it's his birthday tomorrow. So they didn't tell him on his birthday. They didn't tell him on Christmas. And the day after Christmas, Todd and the doctor, and they all came over to the house and they told Paul and Cheryl and Lemmy at the same time. Situation, and that's the story I heard. Well, look, th- thank you very much for sharing that. 
um, with me, Danny, and, and, and everybody listening. And, and thank you for being so generous with your time as well. Um, it's been it's been awesome to talk to you. The whole Motorhead community out there will be just over the moon at the fact that you've taken so much time out to um, to have a chat. Really do appreciate it. it was, I love, I mean, I, I liked it when I when I first met him. I was just honored. I, mean, I even told him once sitting on the tour bus, I go, you know, you know, Lemmy, the, the kids I used to know when I was first playing music, they wouldn't care that I'm playing with the guy from Motorhead. They would be blown away that I'm sitting with the guy from Hawk. When <laughs> <laughs> he goes, but too bad Dave Brock didn't give me more money. <laughs> so he's like that. He made some statement about Dave Brock. Too bad Dave Brock didn't. Oh, brilliant. Uh, but, but he said made some comment about Dave Brock. But but oh, I but, man. I thought they go, yeah, because when I was 14, I said, I know the guy from Hawkwind on that live with a live space ritual. And that was the only album I had because it's hard to get imports. And I played that all the time. Well, that brings that brings us right back to where we came in, which was that album. And um, and once again, look, Danny, thank you so much. Thank you. Really nice doing this, man. Glad I got to meet you and good luck with everything. Cheers, man. Cheers. That was so much fun. I really do, do hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did doing it. Um, you know, Danny really put a lot of time aside and, you know, had done a little bit of homework as well. And boy, does it show. It was just, it was fantastic. We must have done at least another 15, 20 minutes off air just just chatting. Um, lovely guy, had a such a good good time doing that I really did and it struck me as well that at the beginning Danny says what an honour it is to be on the show now I've got to look it's an honour for me to be doing the show it's an every episode is an honour please take that as standard and for everybody who comes on here I'm honoured that they agree to come on in the first place it, let's face it it's just one big motorhead loving and that is where I shall leave it for this episode because that is what the motorcast is it is one big motorhead loving it's the motor loving if you like call it what you like but make sure you subscribe make sure you tell everybody you know to subscribe and I'll catch you here on the next episode of the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. I don't say agreed. The only gun I need is the Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades.